I'm going to read you one verse out of Psalm 86, and then I'm going to come back to that, that psalm later. Psalm 86, verse 11, says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. As we finished up Revelation last week, and I just was reflecting on some things, I couldn't help but kind of get caught up in the big controversy that's been going on with Chick-fil-A. Now, that's not my topic tonight, or his gay marriage, so don't even start. We're going in a whole other direction. But it was, it was spurred off of what I heard a commentator say about this event and what happened. And I thought it was quite interesting. And it was a Christian commentator on the radio I was flipping through. But he, he, was, he was talking about this outcry and how vicious it was and how rampant it was and how quickly it mushroomed into what it mushroomed in. And he asked the question, he said, do you really know the reason this happened? Do you really understand why this, this outcry is so vicious? And so, and so rampant about what it's doing. And, you know, it would be easy to say, well, I guess that part of society got mad because we were attacking them, this, this, this. And he kind of went down through it for a second, and he said, no, it's all about truth. And he said, the problem is, when truth is spoken, God's Word, truth, is spoken clearly and presented, particularly from a platform that has a wide-reaching range, Satan is going to respond to that. And he's going to respond to it aggressively. And I hadn't thought about that. And so we're kind of just digging through this and talking about the issue of truth. And when I'm saying truth, I'm talking about the truth of Scripture that we live by, what it means, the gospel itself. And he talked a little bit about this, and he said, truth unveils, truth reveals. It, it brings light. It lets light in. It kind of highlights the ugliness and the hopelessness and the fear that people without God live with. I mean, listen to what Hebrews uh, 4.12 says. Well, you know this passage. We read it in Revelation, but it kind of fits here. It says, For the Word of God is living and active. And, and, and again, truth is the same thing there. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who must give an account. And so that is where a lot of this came from. When, when, when he spoke that truth and spoke it so clearly, it highlights the evil that's going on around this. And, and so it kind of blossomed out of that. And the one thing that he said, he said, really, Dan Cathy or Chick-fil-A or anything didn't trigger this. God's Word triggered it. That's what triggered it when, when it wasn't just that that group was against this. Everybody has a personal opinion, but that triggered a response to an attack. It, it perceived an attack. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. One of the things he talked about, he said, truth hurts. It challenges. It, it demands a decision from us. It demands accountability. And again, in that passage, it said it lays bare. So to a person living outside of God, the truth spoken to them, which is what God has called us to do, it, it, it opens and it lays out for them where their life is. And so the problem is, is, is trying to live with that. It talks about truth 
it forces us to make a change in this world. Remember what Joshua said as he closed out in his book in Joshua. He said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. And it is a choice. It forces us to make a choice. It forces us to deal with the loss within our lives. We could, A person can say, I don't believe in God. I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to talk about God. But when they're presented with the truth, whether they like it or not, they are, they are forced into a decision. And so that's one of the things that, that was driving this. So the natural counter-response by a lost world, then, that's, then is to what? To repress the truth to push it away, to hurt it, to destroy it, to hide it, to avoid it. If I don't have to talk about something, I thought it was a good illustration. I can remember when we'd get in trouble at home, and my, I knew my dad was going to come home, and us two boys, we had to give an account, you know. Well, as long as he wasn't talking about it, or as long as we thought he forgot it, it was pretty cool. But the minute he mentioned it, it was real. It was in your face. It was panic time. You knew you knew what, and it's the same way here. If I can keep truth pushed aside about the evil in my life, and I don't have to listen to it, and I don't have to deal with it, and I don't have to tell somebody else telling me about it, then it's okay. But then once it's presented to me, the power of it, which is Jesus Christ, brings that conviction and brings them help. And, and, and this world does not like to do that today, so that we are pushing back in another direction. And, uh, and so one of the things is that, you know, leading people to ignore it or even to just retire truth saying it's, it's, not, it's not needed in today's society. And there's a lot of that as well. They're saying it don't fit in this society. So this is this constant struggle. And, and I'm going somewhere with this. Y'all just hang on with me. So when truth is discarded and left quietly in the corner, if we take it and we take what we believe, but we put it over here in our little holy of holies corner, and, and we believe it, but we keep it to ourselves. We don't. We're not public about it. We, we there's no problem. If you let us step up on a platform, and the bigger that platform, or Stan Cassie's platform is about as big as you can get, and say that, you better bet the attack's coming. It, it, it's it's going to because that's just the way the world is geared. It's the age-old battle that we talked about in Revelation. It started in the Garden of Eden. It, it's going to end in Revelation, and we saw it end in Revelation, but we're not. It's not. It hadn't ended yet. We were studying that, but that's that's the path we're on, and this shouldn't surprise us. The thing that catches us, I think, off guard is we've been so blessed to live in this country without that persecution, to where godly things were upheld, godly things were just looked at as the way things should be, and we never had that in-your-face challenges that we're seeing today. But we're going to see them from now on. And so needing to understand some things, we're going to talk about this truth issue a little bit and understand what we need to, to, to bring out of this and what it needs to say to us that we'll be equipped to deal with that. So it's kind of where I'm going. The world today sees that truth as intolerant, hate-driven, and harmful to, my, to modern society as a whole. Lost world, I mean, that's exactly where they're at with it. So the challenge for believers is what? is to daily live by that truth, trying to represent God as we should. And because, again, if you look at this, Mr. Cassie did not condemn gay marriage. What did? God's Word. He simply was the vessel that God had in a place and a time to use, and He let Himself be used. That's the same, that's the same issue we've got. It's the same thing that we're supposed to be doing in, in, in what we're doing here today. So let's talk a little bit about truth and what that what it means to us and and and, and I've got a few things that that I want to just play around here with a little bit. 
So what is truth when we start thinking about that? Now, we'd say we know what it is, but, but let's just work through this, and I'm going to show you a few things. John 14, 6, that's an easy one. John, he said, I am the, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So, the truth. We kind of understand where that is. John 1, 14. Let me just, y'all just hang on. You don't have to go to all these if you don't want to. John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, Father full of grace, full of truth. You have that, you have that constant denominator there. Uh, John 18, 37. You are right in saying I am king. This is Jesus talking. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So again, you have this driving force. And you remember in Revelation 19, it says the rider on the white horse, and he's faithful and true. So you have this, you have this common denominator of Christ and truth, God and truth. So in essence, when you look at that, truth is God and God is truth. It's unseparable. It's unstoppable. It's eternal. And when we're talking about that, it's even transcendent. It's even outside of our ability to, to change it. It's like God. God sits outside of His creation. And so does His truth. It's established. It's not up for debate. It's, it's not up for changing. It's not, it's not up to be tampered with when you look at it. Truth is also real life. John John eight thirty two says what? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. That's the way to live in this world. It, what's it free us from? It frees us from, from you know, eternal damnation. It frees us from that condemnation. It, it frees us from being alone in this world. It frees us from being in conflict with a, with a holy God. So it sets us free. It, it, it lets us live this life to the fullest already prepared for the eternal life coming when we look at that. So again, truth, it just drives that home. Truth is salvation. 1 John 2, verse 17 said, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So again, it ties right into getting saved. And we know that. It's the gospel. It's, it's everything about that. But, but uh, and it's his, it's, it's his standard for all of eternity. Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. It was, everybody was judged on truth, and that truth was what? The gospel. Did you know Christ or not know Christ? And so it's our standard for that as well. But here's where it gets interesting. Truth is unchanging. Well, not according to this society today when we, when we try to look through this. Christian society today, too, if you, I'm talking about across the board now. This is not a lesson directed at us. But across the board, if you went out and told Christian society, they were sure, we understand God's truth. We accept God's truth. We know what God's truth is. But here's the scary part about this. The lifestyles of far too many believers today don't match what they say they believe in our society. And that's one of the issues that we're dealing with so much. One of the most aggressive attacks, not intentionally, in one way, but one of the most aggressive attacks on truth today is coming from the modern-day church, the emerging, the growing church. And, um, and you see it all the time uh, in, in, in several different areas. Uh, we, and one guy, I've got a handout. Let me read you something here I found. Talking about the attitudes in the church today. He said, much of the vis- visible church nowadays seem to think Christians are supposed to be at play rather than war. The idea of actually fighting for doctrinal truth is the furthest thing from, from most churchgoers' thoughts. Contemporary Christians are determined to get the world to like them. 
And, of course, in the process, they also want to have as much fun as possible. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of this, but, you know, that's where it leads us. They are so obsessed with making the church seem cool to unbelievers that you can't be bothered with questions about whether another person's doctrine is sound or not. And so we have this, we have this movement out there to say to get the world to like us. And, and under the guise of reaching people, but we have to be careful. Reaching them with what? Because the one thing God asks us to reach them with is what? The gospel. It's like old Bill Stafford said, if you reach them with two hot dogs, the church down the road will get them with three. And you think about that. So we have to be careful how we reach people. If we don't reach them with the gospel, then we failed worse than they have, probably. And so we and, and we see that. One, one writer puts it this way. He said, God gives us time to work, worship, and play. He said, the problem is we worship our work. We work it or play, and we play it or worship. That's a pretty good description of a lot of what goes on in the church today. And uh, and so, and then another another one put it this way. He said, it's kind of the come to Jesus syndrome. The the message today is just come. It'll be all right. Now, now it will. But it's like if you come to Jesus, you'll never have another problem. You don't have to worry about what you have been. You don't have to worry about what you did. Come on in. Get the benefits. He's your buddy. He'll take care of you. Everybody. And we never see those life changes because it's just, it's just, it's just a, uh, an invitation to be part of the group. And, uh, you know, and, we, and, and the problem is, and I've talked about it in my Sunday school class before, I think, we want the security of Christ. We want to know we're saved, but we want to keep the other foot in the world because we like it so much over here too. We're trying to do both. What's First John 2, 15 through 17 say about that? Yeah, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And here's the, here's the thing. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a pretty blatant scripture. For everything in the world, and this is the three vices of sin that every person in, this world, every, every person in the world deals with. For, the, for the, everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has or does, pride. And all that is, really, that's just... That's, you know, the three things that, that, that tie us up come not from the Father but from the world. And he said, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So we're trying to hold on to so much of this world today. And you see it, it's in, and I'm not being critical, but it's in the church. And we're, we're saying, well, we have to do this in order to be relevant. But if that relevant takes away from truth, then, then we're in the wrong. And that's where, the, that's, that's where the tough, tough deal comes in in trying to grow a church today and trying to reach because you, you have to be relevant. You have to, you have to be part of society. I, I'm not in any way saying that believers ought to, ought to section themselves off and, and not have, you know, any contact with the world. I believe Chuck, I love Chuck Swindoll. He says everybody will have some lost friends that you can play golf with, go to the game with, you know, go fishing with because that's how you witness. Now, obviously you can't hang out with convicts or something, you know. But his point was, have some people, don't be afraid to be around lost people. But at the same time, we have to watch what we're doing. The purpose is for them to hear the gospel and get that out to them. And so we keep, we, we keep wrestling with this. The other thing that we deal with is, you find today not liking what Scripture says, we reinterpret it. Now, you, and I don't know, not being outside this church a lot, y'all might not realize this, there is, there is a major church up north 
I'm not going to get into calling names, but who has advocated, written a book that they're just basically hitting the hell. Don't worry about it. Uh, universalism, everybody's going to get saved. There's a lot of you big churches today are preaching around that message. Why would they do that? Why would they say, why would they kind of hedge around the fact, well, we don't think there's a hell, and we think everybody's going to get saved. What happens when that happens? Exactly. Grow the church, harmony at all costs. And, and so, but where's the, where's the truth end up in that? You know, it ends up swept on the rug, or it ends up just the parts of it it sounds good. So that's one of the things we're wrestling with. And uh, and, and you deal with that. Uh, no hell, universe, all saved. Uh, nobody sins anymore. We talked about that last week. But everybody has struggles and issues. But you won't find a lot of these modern-day churches that will tell you, hey, you just, yes, Jesus loves you, and he'll save you right now, and your life will be changed forever. But you've got to deal with who you were before you can deal with who you're going to become. You got to deal with it. you got to deal with the issues. You got to you got to repent. You got to ask forgiveness. You got to confess. You won't even hear that in a lot of places, you know. And there's some guys on TV. I won't call them names, but <laughs> they won't even tell you you're doing anything wrong. And and again, it's scriptural. It's not my opinion. It's it's scriptural because when you get in scripture, God says, "This is what I've called you to do." That's the reason chick fil thing is, is, is so out there because he was very clear. He just said what he believed. But listen, he didn't pull any punches. And it, it, Now, he hit home with a group that is a volatile hot button. Okay, I understand that. It might not have been the same if it had been another, another type of issue. But when the truth is put out there plainly and we let God use us, we're going to have that response to it. And it would shock you in the church today if you look at some of the polls, how many people, church roles, church membership, who are pro-gay, pro a lot of different things that fall under the banner of sin in the church because we've changed. Culture's changed. We have to change. Well, God's truth was with him before he made this mess. You can't change it. It can't change. So we have to get back to that standard to live by, and there's no way about it. Another another issue in a couple places is just, just flat out denying parts of Scripture. Just, you know, just choose not to deal with it, choose to avoid it. And that's going on in a lot of huge, growing mainline churches. And it raises it should raise our, our awareness a little bit that, that we are responsible for this Word that God's given us. As believers, now each one of us, we do all we can do is take care of where He's put us and what He's given us to do. But but that's where that's where we have to be with this. But and that's just the tip of the iceberg on some things that are going on out there, as far as as, as an attack on truth and as far as us trying to understand what truth is. And uh, you know, and it leads us to some challenges as we look at as we look at this. And I'm kind of just run through these for just a couple, two or three minutes, and and uh, we won't be too much longer tonight. In thinking about this issue of truth and the attack that we're under, I've got three basic questions I'd like to talk about with you. I'm not asking you for your answer, and I'm not asking you this question. I think this is, a, this is something that every Christian in America needs to answer for yourself right now with what's going on around us because we are going to be in constant conflict, I think, from this day on about our beliefs. Now, that's not a bad thing. Jesus said, you know, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Just get ready. It shouldn't be something we're afraid of, but we need to know who we are. And we need to understand when it happens that it's biblical. It's not, we didn't do something wrong. God's not picking on us. But if, if we stand up for it, 
it's gonna it's gonna have some issues. First one, how important is truth to you? How really important? You say, well, yeah, real important. I mean, you know, it's God's truth. All right. How much time do I put in study every week? I'm gonna ask myself these questions. God's truth is important to me. Sit down and add up how much time I put in Bible study. And I don't mean just reading. I mean using an outline, using a commentary, using a lesson plan, doing something to help me better understand what God's given me, which is truth, which is His Word, which is who He is, which is how He operates in this world. How much time do I put in that study? How much How much uh, uh, effort do I put in it? How much of my day do I do I spend in prayer, talking and listening? Now I know our schedules conflict some of that, but do I have a set time, or do I have a time marked out in the day to where I am going to make sure that I at least for a few minutes talk to my Lord and listen to Him because I realize the battle I'm in in this world, and I realize that He's called me to be one of His messengers, just like Dan Castro. He called him to stand up. He knew it was going to take heat, but he represented himself as a believer in Jesus Christ, and he stated why he did. And he also stated, I think if you look at that, that, that he loved those folks, that they were not going to discriminate or anything. How much of my time is in prayer? Meditation. Do I take an opportunity during the week to listen to an extra few sermons just, just to help me? Some good ones. There's some good preachers on TV and radio. If you don't know who they are, allow them, I'll give you a list. There's some folks out there that are good, good to listen to. Do I do that occasionally? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I won't be honest. But I tell you what, I find a lot of times when I take the time to listen. I caught one on the radio today. It just made my day. I mean, it was just something I needed at that moment. God will take care of us if we give Him the time to do that. Organized Bible study, discipleship. You know, I had somebody here one time say, well, you know, we used to do training union. We quit all that. I wanted so bad to say, yeah, y'all quit coming. That's why we quit. You know, you got, there's got to be some discipline here. People have to want to study. You have to want to be involved in this. How much of your day goes in to maturing in your truth? That's the question we need to ask because, I'm a great commission. He said the number one command he gave us was take this gospel to the world. And that's where it starts right here. Second thing, how hard are you willing to work are you willing to work for truth? I mean, how much effort are you willing to put in to proclaiming the gospel, to truth, to not counting the studying things, but are you willing to put some feet on the ground, personal labor, and do that? Now, I know we got limitations. Some people can do more than others, but there's folks that can get out and make 10 visits a week, and there's folks that can make 10 calls at home, can't get out. I'll give you a good illustration of, of, of what I mean by that. A few years ago, I was, we was in a conference. Lucy and I were in Memphis, and Truett Cassidy, who owns Chick-fil-A, who's the CEO, his pastor was there, and he was a young guy about Lyle's age, and I went into one of his sessions. And he kind of laughed. He said, now, I know all the first thing y'all think, and you got Truett Cassidy Sr. in your church, and you got it made. you got a multimillionaire in your church. And he said, I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you that's a disadvantage. But he said, let me tell you the, what his biggest asset is to our church. He said, number one, he's my number one fan and supporter. 
He said, he lifts me up and builds me up and encourages me even when I don't deserve it. And there are days I don't deserve it. And he does it anyway. But he said, further than that, he said, he's the most diligent, dedicated servant in my church. I know he taught sixth grade boys for years. I've read his Bible. He said, you will never see Truett Cathy that he's not looking for some way to serve, some way to help, something he can do in that church. And he said he's such an example to the other people. And he said, I'll give you all a good example. that we, we had a lot of motorcycle riders in our church and in our area, and he got the idea to start a motorcycle ministry. And he come and asked the pastor, he said, can I do that? And he said, well, yeah. And he, he, he personally spent the expense to get a parking lot built for him. And he personally got volunteers. And he personally got out and witnessed about this thing. And he personally was on the ground on Sunday morning greeting them when they came in and coming in and sitting with them. He said, that's true at Kathy. And he said, he'll walk in the room and say, I need five volunteers. He said, how are you going to tell a 70-year-old multimillionaire no when he's out there doing it? But he said, he's an example of what it means, am I willing to work? He said, it would be easy for him to sit over in the corner and say, how much money do you need? But he said, his joy is in doing the work. And he said, his leadership is in doing the work. He said, the money's not an option. He said, he can, you know, he can give what he needs to give. But he said, he leads by work example. How hard are we willing to work for the church? Are, are we willing to put in some extra time? Are, are we willing, you know, what are, what are we willing to do? Because God is, is asked to take the gospel to the world. And, and you know, we have, to, we have to deal with those issues. Third one might be the toughest one to some degree. What are you willing to sacrifice for the truth? Mr. Kathy probably thought he was going to sacrifice some business, but... It's turned out it looks like it's going the other way, which is a good thing, which I think is a good response. Don't scream and holler. Just go buy some more sandwiches, you know. But what are you willing to sacrifice? Your time? Time's a tough resource. None of us have enough of it as it is. I got some I waste for TV shows. You know, Lucy will say amen to that. <laughs> I got a few shows that I like to watch pretty worthless. But, but, uh, <laughs> but I can DVR and watch them late night. But am I willing to, am I willing to to sacrifice for more of my time if it means promoting the gospel or if it means someone hearing the gospel or if it means just getting myself better equipped to teach it or to help somebody else learn how to. Am I willing to make that effort? What about my money? That's always tough. And, uh, you know, we're willing to give whatever God tells us to give. Are we willing to spend what it takes? To, as, long as, as long as it's to get the gospel out, are we willing to do that? What about my comfort? Am I willing to sacrifice my comfort? Am I willing to, you know, go back there in the back and sit in an old chair if this place fills up? Am I willing to do a lot of things? Am I willing to go on a mission trip where there's not going to be any air conditioning, where it's going to be hot, where it's going to, you know, you can just add any parameters you want to that. But am I willing to sacrifice my comfort for the name of Christ and the cause of Christ? And I don't mean on a daily basis, but it just... It just means, you know, am, am, am I willing to, to meet in my Sunday school class? I met one of the college class in the kitchen one time in my other church. We had a ball. We were stuck in little corners and that all the food was in there. But, you know, and, and everybody said, how did you keep a college class together in the kitchen? We didn't care where we were. That was the fun of it. We just, and it all starts with whoever was in the front of the room and, how, and your attitude about it. What about your life? You know, I like to come early service. I like to get out of here quick. I like to go eat. I like to get home, get the remote, get set down before the game or the race comes on. I like that. Nothing wrong with that. But when I change my likes 
if there's something the church needs me to do or if there's a ministry I need to pick up that's going to keep me from doing it. Just That's just a simple design. It could be any. It could be any of our likes, any of, any of the things that we get so programmed into doing and we get so routined into doing that sometimes God couldn't interrupt them when they're gone. What about your job? And this one's tough. I don't know what I would have done 15 years ago with my career two-thirds through at the phone company if I'd have had an issue where it was so much of a cut-and-dry spiritual issue that I hadn't made. I'm, I don't know what I would have done. So, but what would happen if we got in that situation? Would we trust God enough to let it go? I don't know. But if it was something we had to do that was just ungodly, unspiritual, just blatantly against everything we believe, would we be willing to turn it loose? Something to think about. What about your friends? You may have to sacrifice some friends for a stand sometimes. You take a stand on this issue, right? you know, in a modern workplace. I know my daughter, where she works and lives right now, if she took a stand either way on this issue of gay marriage, she, it's going to cost her friends one way or the other. It's particularly going to cost her friends if she don't stay on the pro side of it. That's society. But what are you willing to give up? Now, not that we, not again, not that we seclude ourselves away from people of the world. But there are certain things that if we take a stand on, we're going to have some friends go, I'm not dealing with that anymore. You know, particularly if, if, if it's a topic like this that, that brings out so much uh, so much energy. Probably not, no. The acquaintances, yeah, you're exactly right. Because friends, you, you and I ought to be able to disagree on something still be friends. We might have different opinions on it. And you're right, and that's exactly right. But sometimes that thins out. Sometimes that's something you face. Another one's your popularity. You know, you may say, "Man, I can't." In, in the workplace, you may you may be in your church, you may be in your community, you may be in your sports leagues at the park, and all at once you go, "I can't support this." And you realize, "Oh, you know, this is going to knock me down. This this is going to put me in an awkward position because you know it's going to hurt my influence here. It's going it's going to take some of my popularity away. Not that not that you're living in pride." But all of us like to be liked. None of us wants to, you know, be disliked or the only person out there that nobody cares about. Are we willing to sacrifice that? One of the last ones I thought about, what about our pleasures and hobbies? I can't get any personal now, man, you know. But what about our personal, what, our pleasures and things we like to do? What about our hobbies? You know, got GP tickets on Saturday, Titan tickets on Sunday. That's all good. Hey, it's fun. What if God said, I need you on Saturday? I need you to do this. I need I need you to teach a class. You're going to need to be at home on Saturday teaching. You're probably going to be too late to get to the Titan game on Sunday if you teach. And just just some good examples. You know, what what will we sacrifice for the truth? And that's the issue in society today is we've got God's truth set over here, and then we've got a big bucket full of the world set over here, and we're trying to, we're trying to dip out of both of them. And it just don't work that way. It, it, that's We're weak. And then when something like this happens and blows up in our face, we're going, what is going on? Happens. Just the struggle of good and evil that's been going on for thousands of years. Same thing that we ought to be prepared for, that we ought to be equipped for, that we ought to be able to open Scripture right up and go, right here's why. And sadly enough, too many believers in the church today aren't. Too many believers across the board in the church today are takers only, too. That's another deal. It's, it's all about what I can get out of this and give. I've got a friend in a huge church here in town. I'm not going to name the church. 
And he told me several years ago, he said, we have actually raised a million dollars cash in one service just that quick. As a matter of fact, not long ago, they raised 10 or 12 million in a service to pay off a building. But he said, we literally have went out and raised a million dollars in a service and asked for volunteers for Sunday school and couldn't, I mean, for Bible school and couldn't get a person. Now, he said, that's back to doing. That's back, that's back to Dan Cassie's stuff here. Dan Cassie could give you a million dollars to drop a hat, but he's also in his church working. So... That's some of the things we get into. Are, are we willing? Are we willing to, to, to invest ourselves? Romans eight twenty eight says this, and we know that all and in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to what purpose? His purpose. Don't have a dead blame thing to do with us. He bought and paid for us when we asked for salvation. He gave it free of charge. But He bought and paid for us, and He's got a purpose for us in this world. And I think he expects us to do it. I don't think God's sitting up there going, well, he's a pretty good old boy. He just, you know, he just don't know. I think he expects me to do it, and I think he's going to hold me accountable for it. I, I really do. And I think he's going to do all of us. But here's the key. How we answer those three questions says a whole lot about us. How we feel about truth and how we feel about our faith and how we feel about life. I mean, if you really be honest about it. And, and, and all of us, you know, Times are changing, things are changing, and we're having to reevaluate. It's gonna, it's gonna require more. I think it's gonna be more stressful. I think it's gonna, you know, it's gonna require us to dig deeper sometimes. But it says a lot about who we are. It identifies the value of our commitment to Christ. If you think about it, it really does. If I'm a Christian and I'm saved, and, and I maybe open this up once or twice a week, maybe, maybe not at all. Maybe I got a Sunday school book at home, but I don't even look at my lesson. How, how serious am I about who I am in Christ? Now, maybe I'm just having a tough time. Maybe I'm backslidden as old as the preacher says. That's all okay. But, but to evaluate ourselves like this is to say, if I'm, not, if I'm not doing this, then I'm probably not as serious as I need to be. And if I'm not spending time in prayer, and if I'm not doing the things I need to do, then I've got an issue because I'm not living up to the standards that God has given me to live up to. Jesus gave us the best example in the garden when, when he was talking about going to the cross. And he said, I'd like to get rid of this cup, God, in my terms. But, God, but he said, not my will, but thy will. That's the only answer we got that's good, really. And you know, say, well, God, I don't want to give up my job, but not my will, but yours. I don't want to give up any more of my time, but not my will, but yours. I really don't want to move some bug tussle in North Carolina, but not my will, but yours. That's, but when we get there, I think that's where we get peace, and that's where we get joy, and that's where everything seems to flow like it should, because you're not battling the creator of the universe every day when we go out. Back up to Psalms 86 just a minute. I want to read this psalm fully through now. I just read the one verse there a few minutes ago about about walking in your truth. But I want to read this through, and I want you to think about it kind of in light of what I just talked about, about our relationship with God and our service. It's a great, great prayer by David. It's one that we could read every day, I think, and, and, and encourage us. Psalms 86, starting in verse 1. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you, and you are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant. 
For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call on you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none other like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me, and you have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Salvation. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And it's kind of just exactly what we've been talking about. He's saying, God, give me strength that the enemies may see. Save me when I need saving. Protect me when I need protection. And David is just, is just crying out to God because David had his own struggles and David had his own attacks coming against him. That's just a beautiful psalm that fits, I think, where we are every day when we're functioning in this world because we're not going to be received by this world in a kind way when we stand up for God. We're just not. It's easy around each other, but you get in that mix. Of, it's, it's, it's not uncommon every day to hear somebody around where I work, young folks say, you know, I'd give up on church. I'd just quit. Don't work for me heard at least one parent in the last week that said, my child came home from school and just told me from college, I don't believe in God anymore. I just don't think He exists. I don't think it's worth the trouble. Sorry, Mom. It didn't work for me. We're in a battle, folks. That's, that's your children that you raise up in church, and they, and they go off, and they come back. And, I don't, and so we need to understand what's going on with these issues of truth and things in this country. And they need to be able to look at us and not just hear it from us when we want to say it to them. They need to be able to look at us and see it. They need an example. As the pastor said, he said, Pruitt Cashel is an example of giving and caring and praying and sharing. He said he don't just come in and tell people what they need to do. He said he's out there working. A man that don't have to do anything. He said, he said I promise you, he said he's all over our church doing stuff. But he said, what an example to young folks. And what an example of to people looking up and saying, here's a guy who's done it all. He's, he's successful. He's a believer. He serves God. He's huge in the business world. And he said, that's the thing that we have to do. We have to show those around us what it means to be a believer in Christ and walk with Him. That's the challenge. And it is a challenge, and it's going to be more of a challenge every day we live in this world. It's, it's not going to get any better. Revelation proved that. <clears throat> but we have the right one on our side. If we'll just let him help us, as that psalm said. Help me, O oh Lord. <laughs> Amen. Anybody else before we go? Just some thoughts about that following off of what we studied in Revelation. And, and uh, hope it means.
that's and that's one of the keys. And, and I'm as guilty as anybody at times, and I get crunched for time and things are tough. But we just have to remind ourselves that we have a purpose, we have a responsibility, but we have a God that loves us and a God that wants to use us and a God that will bless us for that. But we have got to discipline ourselves to be available and, and, and to be and to be flowing in what He wants us to do.